this fucking guy. It scared me. <laughs> it, it made a sound. I heard it. Oh, really? Yeah. It was like... Bloom. Oh, I didn't hear it. That's weird. I don't know. What is, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> um, and now I'm trying to figure out why it's not showing our little doot-doot at the bottom. Oh yeah. Oh, oh! It looks like the design changed. It oh, used it's to on be. The side. Ah. Wow. Oh, dang it, guys. Ugh, things are just switching up in the new year. I love it. I know we weren't ready for all this technological advancement. Um, your face looks amazing. Thank you so much. So does your glowing. Oh no, it's just oily. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it looks beautiful in Thank this you. highlight that you get going on. Um, I think my the the joy and on um, just relaxation you're seeing on my face is mm. um, the switching from the pants that I had earlier today that on that where I was very self conscious and to sweatpants. Yeah, because you were wearing uncomfortable pants today. i was wearing uncomfortable pants dear listeners um and we've all been Why? we've all bought an item of clothing that we were like i don't know how this is gonna go especially from the interwebs yeah uh, being a smaller lady so it's hard to judge well, on the interwebs so but when you put them on this morning were you like oh it's not that bad yeah, well, yeah, because I was standing up. It was standing and then you up saw it. and getting ready for the day and going about my business. And then I got in my car. And when I sat down in my car, I was like, oh, no, I've made a terrible <laughs> mistake. <laughs> That's the worst. And then you're like, I don't have time to go back inside and change. No. This is just... Well, I tried to, like, rationale it away to, like, sure. it's going to be fun. It's just a pair of pants. Just, just give them a day. See how they do. And the, the further I got into my drive into work, it was You're just like, like, no. Oh, God. What have I done? <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a terrible day. And it was so uncomfortable to do Oh, that's terrible. And I immediately got into sweatpants as soon as I got home. And it just a wave of relief flooded over me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You should get rid of those pants. Yeah, I am. They were real cute, though, when I was standing up, though. It's a real difficult situation because it's just like not worth it. Very cute if I just don't sit down at all. Which is not realistic. We love to sit down. I love sitting down. It's great. Um, so Alex suggested that I just stand at my standing desk all day. Yes. Which I did appreciate which, the suggestion. That was a, that was a, uh, a logical solution, it which was, I was shocked by. It was a stunning coming from Alex. Alex. 
Alex never gives sound advice. And no. that was And that was very I was like, practical, pragmatic solution to my And it was problem. like Yeah, of course, stand at your standing desk. Well, yes, except for But um, you don't have one. I do have a standing desk. Oh, it has okay. a little cranky crank on it. It's people oh. power. Uh, it does not take electricity. You crank it. You have to, like an old car window. Yes, exactly <laughs> that. Yes. Although I wish it would have that kind of attorney delay. I would like that a lot more. Um, but I was wearing heeled boots. So mm, that no, makes can't me stand all day. Yes, very uncomfortable. It's been a lot of modern trials and tribulations today for this modern woman mm-hmm. on the Um, but I'm happy to be here podcasting with you in sweatpants now. Me too. I also am in sweatpants yes. and in a sweatshirt <gasps> because it's really cold. It's um, goddamn cold. Well, it sucks because it's been warm and like rainy which has given me some lovely migraines but uh now it's fucking freezing and i hate it uh so it's been it's been roof stoof down here yeah i'm in colorado and it is not pleasant in the outside world you need to come on come on back it's painful um yeah like when you go outside and your skin hurts Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a special level of discomfort. Yes. So add that, that on top of uncomfortable pants. You just had a rough I just, day. I'm having a rough, I'm having a rough one, but it's okay because we're here now. We're here now. And we're going to talk uh, about stuff. This is this fucking guy. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> welcome to I'm the Kate. show, gang. I'm you're Caitlin. You're of this. Uh, yeah what's your name this is who are you um i'm karma <laughs> i'm i'm caitlin and sometimes uh, we order uncomfortable pants and then try to wear them for an entire day yeah i think that's like a relatable thing yeah you know mm-hmm. it's better than you being like you know what fuck these pants and then going in to work pantsless as uh, fake producer apparently alex did today uh just mm-hmm. winnie the pooing mm-hmm. it today at work which i applaud his yep. bravery in a me too era yes yeah i mean so hard for white men it is so hard for white men especially when they go into work pantsless it's real tough yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it's it's a hard world out there uh, yeah. especially mm, when they're just so- stacking up golden globes left and right uh, it's real, Girl. real hard. Um, yeah, we're on the eve, the the eve after. Post, we're, we're in a post-Golden yes. Globes world. Yes. Uh, yeah, where there still is almost it no was, diversity. Yeah, very white. Although Aquafina, Mabu, yes, one, which was amazing. She's fantastic. Yeah, uh, and Fleabag got so many awards. Oh, thank God. Great. When she said oh. thank you to Obama. God damn it. God damn it. Oh. I lost my mind. Oh. I lost my mind. She's a human genius. I know. I wish we would one day be as brilliant as her, but uh, I like to probably think will never we happen. are just in a, uh, an undiscovered status. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I like this energy that you're bringing into yeah. 2020. Where P-dubs 
the free mm -hmm. Amazon pilot. Okay, so we're just like working on that play. Yes. We don't have an Andrew Scott in our lives, which is Yet. a detriment. Yet. However, we do have some sweet pup pups. We do have pup pups. We do have pup pups. And I'll take that to um, Yeah, I mean, I'm okay with that. Um, I'm trying to think of what updates I have. Uh, Is top of the show Patreon alert. Uh, <laughs> Y'all need to fucking give us money on Patreon. Okay, look, we yeah. were nice about it in 2019. Uh, now it's 2020. We are approaching our 15th episode soon. Oh Can you God. believe it? Can you believe? I mean, I can't believe we've done something for this long. I can't either. That is remarkable in and of itself. I'm really proud of us. I know. We're really doing it. You know who else we're I'm doing proud it. of? Goddamn Gordon for being our only Patreon subscriber. Yes. Shout out to my brother for still being our only Patreon supporter. Uh, it means it means so much and it helps us tremendously when we get monies to host our show because this shit ain't free for us to make. It's free for you in your ear holes, but it costs us monies to make it. And we're so, so happy to deliver it to you in your yes. We love doing this because it's fun for us as friends yes. and it gives us time to connect since we're so far away. Um, but it is also, it takes time and money and equipment that we now have mm -hmm. and editing on top of our real jobs. Like it's a lot. So if you could support the show and if you can't find a dollar to donate, mm -hmm. Given that there are many worthy causes like sending money to Australia because they need it because everything's on fire and the world is garbage. Yeah, do that. Um, do that for sure. Save the animals and the people. Uh, but well, more importantly, the share animals. Let's just be real. The, yeah. I mean, a third of the koalas are dead. So yeah. Let's, let's save some tree bears, guys. Yeah. Yeah, just because they have chlamydia doesn't mean they don't need your support. Just because they are rampant sex deviants doesn't mean they deserve to get burned to death. Yeah, don't don't shame them for their sex life. Don't you slut shame how, koalas. How dare you? do you do it? It's rude. Ugh. Let them eat their They're goddamn just, eucalyptus. And just go crazy and have wild orgies. Bang, bang it out with whatever other consenting koala bear is feeling it, and then just mm -hmm. take tree naps. That sounds like a beautiful yep. life. It's the dream. That sounds honestly. like a wonderful life. And right now, they are in peril, gang. Yes. They need help. Um, so, obviously, that's a worthy cause. Yeah. We support it. Um, I made a donation yesterday to Australia Red Cross, um, and there are lots of organizations. Uh, but if you if you want to help, that was Zara's ear wiggles. Yeah. Um, if you if you want to help us, like share on social, yeah. follow us on social. Like there's so share many it with your friends. Things you can do. You can write a review for us. On the boop some stars, boop some stars, gang. Uh, get on the social meds. We're on the social meds. Social meds. Uh, yep. 
tell your homies. Talk to people about in it. Real, actual life. Mm-hmm. Just explain what podcasts are to your parents. You might have to start there. Uh, that's a fight you might have to undertake. All you have to say is it's like the radio in your phone. Yeah. I, That's I it. think I'll get it. Yeah. Um, so those are some things. Those those are things you can do to help us yeah. help you. Leave us a funny DM on our Instagrams. Yeah. Oh, send us an email. Send us a goddamn old-fashioned email. Like it's 1997. Right? We love it. We love we emails. Love, send us an electronic mail. We would love emails from listeners instead of the automated emails that we get from yeah. Apple and from uh, all of the services we yeah. use to make this podcast It sure happen. would be nice to have listener email instead of automated ones from our hosting yeah. service. Yeah, from do not replies. It's okay. Those are free things. They cost zero money. Because yeah. if you're giving money to koalas, we get it. We are here to support that. Mm-hmm. It's true. It's a fact. It's, it's, it's hard um, out there. We get that. We get it. We're in the same boat. We are We're just trying to, in the same boat. <laughs> We're just trying to make a little passion project. We're, live and thrive. Uh, and have friendship time. Yeah. Um, do you want to tell me a story? I am going to tell you the fuck out of a story. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited. I'm going to tell you about Amy Johnson, aviator and all-around badass. Ooh, I don't know her. So everyone knows all about Amelia Earhart because she yes. had lots of financial backing. However, mm-hmm. she was not the only badass motherfucking female pilot of 30s. Pew, pew, pew. Let me tell you about Amy Johnson. Yes. Amy Johnson was born on July 1st, 1903, which also happens to be the exact same year that the Wright brothers made their first flight. To prove to be oh. a coincidence. So Miss Johnson was born in Yorkshire, England. Was the oh, Yorkshire. The oldest of four sisters. She had a pretty normal British childhood. Um, she went to school. Like tea and crumpets. Yeah, and- like they were like upper middle class. Um, she went to school and she, you know, did stuff. Um, <laughs> she did stuff, guys. I imagine I imagine her with like um books with like a little leather oh, strap around. Yes, them. I was imagining like the the hoop with a stick. Oh, hoop and yeah, stick. Hoop yeah. A, cl- a classic British children's classic game. Classic hoop and stick, just rolling a hoop down the yard, you know? Yeah. Maybe like rolling a wheel of cheese yeah. or something. We don't know. We don't know about old timey things. This is no. the 1900s. Great, great for our historical point. I don't know. <laughs> Was born in a time when a lot of people probably died. So kudos for just living past childhood. You did it. It's true. Um, so she went to the University of Sheffield, which was largely a male school. So snaps mm-hmm. to you, Amy. And she graduated in 1923 with a degree in economics. 
Wow. I know. What a badass. Already. She's murdering it. So she then moves to London, and she works as a secretary for a solicitor, which is a British way of saying lawyer. I know. I love that they say that. And they have the robes and the wigs. Even now, it's so stupid. Yeah, they they still do that. It's so stupid. It's so funny. Like, why? Like, why? Why do they do that? Stupid little wigs and robes. Like, why would you do this? And it's like... And the wigs don't fit. No. It's just like a little. It's like a little. It's like a yarmulke. Hat. It's just like <laughs> a, a, a wig, a powdered wig. I don't understand it. I don't get it. We in this. And like they have the big collar. We in America, we're not ready to understand British things, old timey British things. We're not here for it. It's so funny. I don't understand it, but that's what she was doing. She was working for a lawyer, and he was arranging his little wig and putting on his little robe <laughs> and, like, well, being real huffy. And she was like, yes, sir. yes, governor, and, like, taking his notes and shit. Um, so uh, so and it was a, during this time while she was living in London and working as a secretary that she took her first flight in 1926. In a letter to a boyfriend at the time, she described her first experience in an airplane saying, quote, Molly and I went up in the aeroplane. Love that shit. Love that. Aeroplane. Aeroplane, bitch. Oh, I want to use it just in my regular vocab. Um, You can. It's the roaring 20s. Let's do it. So... Molly and I went up and in the aeroplane. We both enjoyed it, but I would have liked to have done some stunts. Shut I love up. her so much. She's like on her on her first flight. She's like, I want to do it's some just stunts. A, I want to just do like a barrel knock roll out some shit. So after that, she soon joined the London Aeroplane Club. So it was kind of like a of hobby, course. and uh, she took avi some, some like pilots classes, and she got her aviator certificate on January twenty ninth, nineteen twenty nine. And her pilot's license on July 6, 1929. So she was putting in the hours. So after she got her pilot's license, and that's when you can, like, fly solo, she decided to quit her job and dedicate herself full-time to becoming... So this bitch already got her fucking pilot's license in a male-dominated field in fucking Mm -hmm. 1929. Then she decides... I'm going to take it one step further, quit my fucking job, and become a mechanic and learn how to do all the mechanical things on planes, which makes her... What? It made her the first woman in British history to pass the ground engineer's test and get her engineering license from the air ministry. First one. Shut up. Oh, bad bitch. Oh, so... That's incredible. Get taking her pilot's light, her classes, getting her pilot's license. Now she's like, I need to know everything about planes. I'm going to get my fucking mechanics license. So she does that too. So after she does all this, and she's now the first woman in British history to get her ground engineer's license, uh, her dad, who was like her biggest supporter, was like, baby girl, let's get you an airplane. So her dad helps... uh, buy her this second-hand two-seater plane 
Um, uh-huh. And because she'd become the first woman to get the ground engineering license, the media, like, kind of started, like, grabbing onto her story. Like, they're like, who is she? Uh, who's this woman being a mechanic? Uh, won't you get your nails done? Um, you know, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> so she told the press that she wanted to break the existing record that was set by a man for a solo flight from England to Australia. Now. Oh, shit. That's really well, far. it's even further when you consider that baby girl's longest flight up until this point was from London to her hometown, which was about 200 miles. Uh. And Australia is very so far. far and like over an ocean. Yes, it's over an ocean. It's over a continent. Uh, it's it's real far. Um, yeah. Uh, and planes were not built well back then. Built well, um, and they were just basically wings with seats attached. Uh, there wasn't yeah. a whole lot of like sophistication happening. They were like tin can yeah, death Yeah, they'd traps. only been around for like 30 years. We're still working out the kinks. Uh, so, but baby girl was undeterred. Uh, she was like, no, bitch, I'm doing it. And so, my girl, love her to death, questionable decisions. Here again, it is 1930. Mm-hmm. So, she plans her route from London to Australia by laying down a map putting a ruler on it and drawing a straight line no. from London to Australia because there were not computers or other things. Flight no. paths or anything. Uh, no. And of course, the, the fastest way to get somewhere is a straight, a straight line. line. So that's how... When you... with the Without factoring in, you know, landscapes yeah, and winds weather, and that anything. kind of shit. Um... So, my girl sets out on May 5th, 1930, with no radio, no weather data, and only some very basic Mm. maps, uh, because a lot of the land she was flying over was uncharted at that time. Holy shit. How do you read a map while you're flying a plane? Great question. Uh, I don't know if they had autopilot. I have to think that was not a thing. Probably not. It was just like wrap a string around the stick that holds it in place. Then just cross your fingies. Just pray, pray real big. You're closer to Jesus. Pray real loud. Uh, So her path that she drew with a straight line and a ruler uh, took her over some some of the most inhospitable terrain. And this meant uh-huh. that she had to keep the cockpit open for eight hours at a time while she was flying so that she could see what the fuck was going on underneath her. No. Yes. Oh, my God. It must have been so cold. So cold. So terrible. And she, once she took off, she had to stick to this terrible path that she'd taken because... She had fuel stops along the way that she had to make or she would crash and die. Um, Holy shit. So there was no changing shit up after she got going. Like, it was too fucking late. 
Yeah, because you can't just like call someone and be like, hey, I need to change my yeah. fuel stop because they didn't no, have they cell phones. No, they could not talk to one another. It would have been many days. Like they had to like do Morse yeah, code or some shit. Send things by horse. I don't know. So long, nigga. Make friends with a yeah. bird and like have it drop just it be off. Like, like I hope that's you a lot go of where you're supposed to, bird. Um, I don't know. So she made stops in Vienna, Istanbul, Aleppo, Baghdad, Karachi, and Singapore for fuel. And on her way uh, across uh, India. It was monsoon season. hey So she had <laughs> to make several forced landings, including one on a sugar plantation on the island of Java. She also oh. had to land in a sandstorm in the Iraq desert. <gasps> uh, and uh, so she reached, by the time she reached India, like I said, it was monsoon season, but she, in the time that it take her, took her to reach India was like she had already broken a record. She did it in six days. And so everybody yeah. everybody in Amazing. the press is paying attention. Uh, so she takes back off. She's going. Uh, but outside of what is now modern-day Myanmar, uh, she uh, has to stop, make a fuel stop. But she had been over open ocean for 200 miles, and it's monsoon season, and she, she makes a really shitty landing. And ends up ripping a hole in, a, in one of her wings and no. damaging the propeller. She, this cannot no. be reiterated enough. It is 1930 and she is in the middle of fucking nowhere during monsoon season. Thankfully, mm-hmm. there just so happened to be a local technical institute and they helped her repair of her course. wing with fabric, like parachute fabric that they had salvaged from World War One. I know, but it delays her. They're like, oh, we just happened to have this on hand. Yeah, here's fabric that we have left over from the war, lady. You want to wrap it around that bitch? So, but it ends up delaying her for several days. So Mm -hmm. she takes back off. She makes it to Australia. She wasn't able to beat the existing record. Um, But she... uh, it's 11,000 miles, flown by a woman, solo flight. She did it in 19 and a half days at the age of 26. Uh, she lands. I'm, I'm 29 and have accomplished It made me want to throw nothing. up. Uh, so she lands in Australia <laughs> to crazy crowds who want to see her, who've like followed her journey in the papers, people are fucking stoked as hell. And that airplane that she landed in Australia can now be seen at the Science Museum in London. I mean, she never flew it again. And it was like <sighs> a fucking, it was well, like a how historical could you? artifact at that point. Um, and she was like, I need yeah, a million now. There was you. literally Goodbye. so many reports that said after this flight to Australia, she was, like, out of commish for a long time. Like, doctors were like, girl, you gotta take yeah. a minute. Um, so, uh, after her flight, she uh, just accolades, 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 awards, everywhere, just stacking them. She even gets the Order of the British Empire, which is, like, a super huge honor. And, uh, mm. she, like I said, she took some time off because she was physically 
exhausted. Um, yes, probably all yeah, traumatized. Uh, I don't know how you have the fortitude to do something like that. And then they're like, you know what? I'm going to do it again. So this bitch starts plotting her next flight. Now from London to Tokyo. Mm. Yeah, she gets Fuck. a new plane, though. She gets a new plane. Okay. And this time she decides to go with a co-pilot and goes with okay, her good. mentor um, from the aeroplane club, uh, Jack Humphreys, who is also uh, a mechanic as well. So in okay, July 1931, great. they take off. Uh, to start the first leg of the flight, which is from London to Moscow. They complete this 1,760-mile journey in less than a day. They do it in 21 hours, which was just that leg, the fastest flight from London to Russia. And then they continue traveling from Siberia to Tokyo, and that becomes... A record-breaking flight uh, from Britain to Japan. Oh my god! Wait, let's think about this for a second because flights now they move at like five hundred and something mm-hmm. miles an hour, like fast as fuck. You can make the trip probably from London to Russia in like I don't know, yeah, seven, eight hours maybe. Some like probably yeah. less. I don't know. Imagine being in the air, traveling for th- that long. Like how slow was it going? And then you're I just don't up want there. To think about that is that yeah. just made my palms so sweat. My dad, shout out to dad. I don't think he listens to this. I don't think he knows what a podcast is. Um, hey dad. Hey dad. Uh, he uh. Well, he was a pilot when we were really young, and then they had kids, and my mom was like, this is a death trap! Baby, stop doing this! Uh, so he got rid of his plane, but now that he is nearing retirement age, uh, he's been real interested in, in flying again, so he renewed his pilot's license. He got a little baby two-seater plane, uh, which I'm sure even his, which is like from like the 90s, I think, uh, is way more fucking technologically advanced than this piece of shit. Mm-hmm. And his goes like 100 miles an hour max. Like it's basically like driving a Civic so, in the sky. Like that's it's a <laughs> Civic with the wings. I just imagine her plane like just going out like a slow like, crawl <laughs> in the it's air like and you're just like yes. Yeah. It had to be so fucking slow. <laughs> and it had like a legit like wee propeller. Like you probably had to like wind like, that bitch oh up. Oh my god. Yes. Oh my god. It, That's it so stressful. Really is. I don't either. I don't like that. I'm proud of her, like, but I don't like it. Thank you to our as it like broke ceilings and did amazing stuff. But damn girl, that shit cray. That's even danger, so girl. in danger. That's so danger. Oh, sequel to That's a Raven coming this fall. Uh, oh, that's so danger. 
So, so wow. 1930, crazy flight to Australia. 1931, crazy ass flight to Tokyo. 1932, my girl meets Scottish pilot Jim Mollison. Mm. And Jim proposed to her during the flight approximately eight hours after they first met. Oh, so they just got married. That. Like mid-flight, and he's like, girl, I no. can't do a Scottish accent, but he's like, yes! Sassenach, you my girl. Yes! <laughs> so they got married like super fast. And later that year, she said, babe, I know like you're a record biking pilot and you do all kinds of wild shit, mm-hmm. but, uh, I'm going to break your motherfucking record. So she does. Uh, she broke his record for solo flight oh, from London to Cape Town. Because she badass like that. She I was like, hi, this is my marriage gift to you. You know that record that you set flying to South Africa? I broke the shit out of it. <laughs> um, bye. Bye. See you at home. Uh... So, her wow. and Jim are both just crazy-ass aviators, wiling out in the 30s, trying to figure out what kind of wild shit they could do together. So, they decide they want to try to do a transatlantic flight from London Ooh. to New York. This would mean that they would have to, because it's back in the motherfucking day, carry all of the fuel that they would need for the trip, because they're going to be flying over straight up uh-huh. ocean, which still hurts my brain to think about. Right, and that yes. weighs the plane down. That You, you can't, can't carry like, a bunch of hard. shit. It makes the plane real fucking slow. So, um, also the mm-hmm. idea that, like, makes my brain hurt even in modern times, so I really can't think about it, you know, like 90 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so, they set out on the trip, carrying everything that they would need to make the entire journey. They do not make it. Uh, about uh, 90 kilometers from their destination in New York, they run out of fuel and end up making an emergency no. crash landing in Connecticut. Oh, no. They but they made it to, to land. land. Importantly, they didn't, like- yes, they made it to land. They were both okay. thrown from the plane, though, Whew. in the landing, but only suffered, like, cuts and wounds. Like, nothing life-threatening. So, and even oh though God. they didn't make it all the way to New York, and they crashed, they still set a world record for transatlantic flight. And uh, after they recuperated uh, and left the hospital, they were received at a ticker tape parade down Wall Street, and were even entertained by President Roosevelt. So they still were fucking ballers, even though they crashed and almost died. That's what we like to call failing up. (laughs) Uh, Holy shit. I also would be like, yeah, no, I'm like never I'm, flying I'm again. They can fall out of the sky. I'm good. I, I don't understand it. So, yeah. Wow. So, 
they take some time off, understandably, from doing wild shit for a year. Uh, but the next crazy thing they did was they were a part of this race, airplane races. Didn't know that was a thing. Uh, but apparently it sure. was. Uh, in 1934, they flew in record time from England to India. And here again, even though they were forced to stop short in Allahabad because of engine trouble. They still made oh my God. the journey in record time and set a world record. Uh, of course so they did. That's cool. Yeah. Good times. Not bad. So just murdering records, setting records, fucking left and right. Uh, so her next flight, she goes back to flying solo. In May 1936, uh, she regains, so somebody had taken in the ensuing years between her getting married and taking her husband's record, flying to South Africa, somebody else had taken the record from her. So she's like, this will not stand. Mm. And so she goes back in May 1936 to retake her record uh, to South Africa, and she does it. So not only does she regain her record, she then sets... Two other records, completing the entire journey in three days, six hours, and 26 minutes. Yeah. (laughs) What? So, that bitch. Yeah, so the same year, she is also awarded, I love this, the Royal Aero Club's gold medal. Oh, oh my god. Royal Aero so Club. cute. Oh, but it's spelled fun with an E. It's great. Uh, it's just like an E for no it's, reason. This is in there. They just like have all the all the vowels. It probably Oh It god, probably had like a did. little plane on it. No it did. Oh god damn it, you know that metal was cool as hell. Zara, I'm gonna be you chill out. I'm telling her really cold for it. Okay. I don't know. Your face is all smushed up because you've got a lot of extra skin. But I'm just going to need it. I just keep... I keep seeing her little paws just, like, kind of pop up. Hazy paws. She keeps clawing up my arm to try and get my attention. But she's also She not wants your attention, yeah. She's still fully laying down. She's like, I'm... I love you too, baby doll. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Oh, we're getting gold medals. That's what we're doing. So in 1938, two years later, after she's fucking doing wild shit, she was doing a aero performance. I don't know. At the aerodrome in England. And ended up turning over her plane. Uh, But she was not seriously hurt. She was fine. Comes out of this totally unscathed again. Um, and later that year, oh she God. and Mollison end up getting divorced, uh, because they're just two crazy adventurous <gasps> no. people, and they were just so fiery, they couldn't make it work. So they divorced, and she went back hmm. to her maiden name, which also total fucking badass in 1930. Folks did yeah, that's not a badass do that name. shit. So... It was becoming harder and harder for Amy to uh, find records that she could break and do things without dying. 
around this time 1938 ish mm-hmm. she decides to kind of shift her attention away from making these like record-breaking flights and she starts like writing and uh she starts like getting into business uh she ends up modeling clothes um for elsa shara i'm gonna fucking butcher this shia perel yep yeah. uh and creates sure. her own traveling bag which i and then um, I love that war starts popping off in 1939 and she's like I can't just sit idly by I've got all this plain knowledge I am gonna go join the Air Force so 1940 she uh, joins the newly formed Air Transport Auxiliary which uh, transported uh, aircraft um, from the Royal Air Force around the country. So she would like, she wasn't like really involved in like war or like strategy. She would just fly planes to wherever they needed to be. So mm-hmm. she ended up rising to the rank of first okay. officer like a fucking badass. So the following year in 1941, Amazing. in January, uh, she's ordered to take uh, this plane from fucking point A to point B. I don't remember. Uh, I It was a lot of crazy <laughs> English names, and I was like, nobody gives a fuck about that. No one knows where that is in regard to one another. So she takes the plane, <laughs> and it ends up crashing into the Thames. So it was really shitty weather that day, like super, super cold, super, super rainy. Um, But they never found her body. So at the time that her plane crashed into the Thames, there were a bunch of like ships out there just kicking it because it's wartime. And Mm -hmm. there were a lot of reports that they had spotted a parachute coming down and that they had seen her alive in the water and, like, calling for help. But, like I said, the conditions were really bad. Like, the seas were fucking terrible. There was snow. It was crazy cold. The tides were awful. So uh, the crew on the closest ship, like, maneuvered over to her and threw her out a rope. They couldn't reach her. And she was lost. So she was, she was declared dead at the age of 37. So oh, no. much like Amelia Earhart, a lot of mystery surrounds her death. Mm-hmm. So even, so in 1999, it was reported that her death may have been caused by friendly fire. One of the guys, <gasps> his name was Tom Mitchell. He was a former member of the 58th Heavy Anti-Aircraft Regiment. And he claims to have shot her plane down when she twice failed to give the correct identification code during the flight. Oh, my God. It gets better. This isn't even it. So, quote, 16 (sighs) rounds of shells were fired and the plane dived into the Thames estuary. We all Mm. thought it was an enemy plane until the next day when we read the papers and discovered that it was Amy. The officers told us Mm. to never tell anyone what happened. (gasps) Oh, fuck. But it gets even more mysterious. In 2016, a historian named Alec Gill claims the son of a crew member on the ship stated that Johnson had died because she was sucked into the blades of the ship's propellers. (gasps) The crewman did not observe this to have occurred because it's under the fucking ship, uh, but believes it is true. 
Speaking to the Daily Telegraph, Gill said in 2016, quote, the Royal Navy didn't want to admit to a nation in the middle of war that they had killed Amy Johnson, the famous pilot. Oh, so my God. Ellen knows what happens to her. Like, a bunch of shit from, like, personal effects from her plane, like, wash up on shore. And the days after it happened, she was never found. Nothing on her person was ever found. That is so crazy. So no one knows what's happened or, like, an even... The place that she was supposed to take the plane from and take the plane to was like nowhere near the Thames. So everybody's like, why the fuck was she so far off course? Like, how did this happen? Was she on a secret? There's also some theories that she was on a secret mission. Secret mission. That has never been confirmed. Uh, However, a Mm. memorial service was held for Amy in the Church of St. Martin in the Fields, London on January 14th, 1941. Uh, and she was a vice president during her life of this organization called the Women's Engineering Society. And their journal called The Woman Engineer uh, put this quote out uh, in her death. Quote, she demonstrated for all time that women can plan daring feats, can pay close attention to detail, can superintend and carry out a prescribed program, can overcome obstacles as they are encountered, can learn from misfortune, can face disappointment without loss of courage. Here's to you, Amy Johnson, badass fucking aviator of the 1930s and all around fucking awesome lady. Oh my god, I love her and I'm so sad. She was a badass. That is so... I know. Amazing. I... I like to think that she... Is like in the Bermuda Triangle kicking it with Amelia. Yeah, and they cross paths uh, after uh, her transatlantic flight, and she was in New York. Um, she stayed for a while, and uh, her homeboy came back to England. So she stayed for a while, kicked it. She had all the celebrities going to parties and shit, and she uh, did meet Amelia Earhart, and they kicked it. Ah, yep. Just two, two babes. Crossing flight paths. Wow. Amazing. I wish I wish we did stuff as cool as that. I'm but, cool with not. Yeah, I mean I'm cool with not because I don't I don't wanna be in danger. No, I don't like to court danger. It's dangerous enough to just be a small woman in the world. To yeah. exist. Um mm-hmm. so I don't I don't really like to to invite danger. Right. Yeah, we do see enough yeah, of it. Yeah, I don't, I don't need extra. Why don't more people know about her? Which I feel like I say every time you tell a story. Uh, because Amelia Earhart had more press. I mean, not to downplay Jesus Christ, Sarah! Yeah, Amelia Earhart's an incredible, incredible yeah, woman. Amelia Earhart, amazing badass. Not to downplay her accomplishments. But she had more uh, financial backing at the time. And so she was Mm -hmm. able to do more shit and, like, be independently wealthy and not have a job and shit. Uh, So, uh, yeah, so she got a lot more press back in the day. And now Zara has taken all of the focus. Zara wants her Uh, press. You are not a part of this podcast. Mm -hmm. I love you so much. But you're really making life difficult. Oh, 
Mom. Oh. I want to be on the show, I too. I would like to be. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Stop ripping my headphones out. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's time for Kayla to tell me a story. Stop it. <laughs> she just bit the headphones out of your ears. <laughs> Stop it. Stop it. Chaos is raining. <laughs> it's chaos. It's chaos. Well, speaking of yes. chaos... <laughs> um, so I'm going to tell you the story of Joanna Southcott, who just, you know, proved that you can change careers late in life because when she was in her 40s, she decided to start a cult. Joanna. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Joanna, what kind of wild so. shit are you getting into? Now, I will say Joanna Southcutt is referenced in a Charles Dickens no novel, A Tale of Two Cities. He said, it was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. Is that, did I say that right? Spiritual revelations were conceded to England at that favored period, as at this, Mrs. Southcutt had recently attained her five and twentieth blessed birthday. What? What? Mm-hmm. Oh, I cannot mm-hmm. wait. This is gonna be wild. Yes, it's crazy. Okay, so Joanna was born in April 1750 in Devon, England at Tailford Farm, where her dad was a farmer. And her mom died when she was, like, really, really young. So when Joanna was old enough to work at, like, four, she... she, You know it's true, though. Like, oh, you can stand up too much with this bucket. Yep, then she was a dairy girl, so... All she had to do was hold a little pail, tug on some udders. She's, like, still breastfeeding. She's like, I'll just milk this cow, too. Um, So, and then later, um, when she got a little bit older, she worked as a shop girl. And then she went on to work as a domestic servant in Exeter. But she was dismissed when one of the footmen at the house she was working at said that she was, quote, growing mad because she rejected uh, him. So classic, uh, classic retaliation firing there. white dude nonsense. Mm-hmm. So uh, in her writings, which we'll talk more about, but she claimed that when she was 18, the spirit of truth became her guide and guard and she joined uh, the Wesleyans in Exeter in 1792 at the age of 42 years old and began believing and outwardly professing that she had supernatural yes. gifts. Now, what are the Wesleyans? Because all I know about Wesleyan is that it's a college. Yes. Uh, so Wesleyans. It, uh, okay. Mm. It, it is uh, like Methodist theology. It's a theological tradition in Protestant 
Christianity that emphasizes the, quote, methods of the 18th century evangelical reformers, John Wesley and his brother, Charles okay. Wesley. So they're just like a, a variety. A, a variety, yeah. So, um, so during this time, um, she began writing spiritual dictations and prophecies in rhyme, and then she would place them in a box and that was called the great box. And she uh, came out and announced herself as the woman of the apocalypse who is referenced in the Bible, Revelation 12, one through six, which says, quote, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child, who, quote, will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne. The woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God, where she might be taken care of for 1,260 days. That is a very exact number. It is super uh, specific. That's um, a lot of really interesting things to claim for oneself. Mm-hmm. Yep. I mean, it was in the Bible, and she was, uh, you know, she God spoke through her, so yeah. she was like, you know, that's that's me. I will give birth to a baby that a dragon will then eat. <laughs> yep. Because that's, that's very reasonable. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to go hang out in the forest for 1,260 days. Very exact days. amount of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, she claimed that this was her and that she was going to give birth to this baby that would end up being the next mm-hmm. messiah. Uh, just totally a standard claim. Don't worry about it, guys. Yeah, just like trust me, okay? Prophecies, guys. Yeah, trust the great box. Just, just trust my my box. box Is very trustworthy. My box does not not lie lie about a dragon (laughs) baby, a dragon summoning baby. No, like, come on. So um, an engraver named William Sharp requested that she come to London. And I guess at the time an engraver was like kind of like a printer type person. Yeah. I'm unclear as to why he requested her to come there, but he did. Um, And while she was there, she started selling, quote, seals of the Lord, which were literal tickets to heaven. (laughs) Wait, she just started selling so, people just little slippies of parchment that said, like, heaven, uh-huh. entrance, you, one, one admission, admission please. One admission. And mm-hmm. people were like, yeah, bro. Obviously, you need the seal of the Lord to get into heaven. That's what Jesus that told I us, you know? Ticket. So... You need a ticket. You have to make sure you yeah. go to will call and you get your ticket. 
show them your ID. You need to know that it's really you. Get your tickies. Get them wrapped. Then you can go. Make sure you sit. sit Better be your fucking assigned seat. Like, there's this isn't general admission. You gotta no. Gotta please silence your your devices before before entering heaven. Like, come on. Uh, so, and the, there was a catch though, because, um, the tickets would ensure your place as one of 144,000 people selected for eternal life. So you, if you had a, t- if you bought a ticket, you were one of the people that oh, possibly cool. you could gotta be read Exactly. Always yes. got to read the disclaimer. Get that legal, guys. Right. So you would think that people would be like, this is a scam, right? Oh, no. It's true. Uh, She made so much money, like bukus of money, and gained thousands and thousands of followers. Like, I'm not, I'm not talking just like, like 5,000 people were like into this cult. Hundreds of thousands of people. So she's just like, follow me, homies. I've got your tickets. Pretty much. And she was like, she was like dishing out prophecies left and right. And like, people were like, we got in. What's the deal with the what's in the box? And she, she was like, I don't know what it was about her, but because it's not like she was like a really hot, like charismatic person like she was old like and this is like old in like the 1700s old you know like she was yeah so she um in 1801 she published this book it was like part one of this book that she was creating called the strange effects of faith which became extremely popular. And this is like part of what helped get her so many followers, but they were straight up a fucking cult. Like people were like, like Charles Manson style. Like, no, we follow everything that she says. Like wild crazy. So she even had her own disciples that were called the faithful seven. And they traveled with her everywhere and were present at, all of her prophecy writings and um, one of the seven named Reverend Foley sent a letter to the vice chancellors of Cambridge and Oxford who had made an inquiry about Joanna. Okay. So the, these actual like uh, church people, they were like, not so sure about this lady. Um, So, This guy, one of her seven, wrote a letter to basically defend her. And he said in this letter, we had demonstrative proof that Joanna Southcutt was truly pious, honest, and industrious and would not utter a falsehood for the world and was moreover of a sound and perfect mind. We had ample proof confirmed by many witnesses of accurate fulfillment of her prophecies with regard to the war, both at home and abroad to harvest at home and to many other things equally extraordinary. We were eyewitnesses to her writing. I have been so constantly since B 
being almost holy with her when she was dictated by the spirit of God. When we heard her explain the scriptures in a most clear, wonderful and illuminating manner. So people were like brainwashed. Yeah, I like how he was like, yeah, she's like a, she's a good person. It's like, yeah. Right. Nobody's arguing that. Like, we're arguing that yeah. she's fucking crazy. Right, right. We're arguing that everything she says is complete bullshit. So, um, now she predicted, this is, keep in mind, in like early 1800s now. She predicted that the world would end in either 2004 or 2014. Those are two different things. Mm-hmm. And we're way past that now, mm-hmm. so she was not not wrong. Um, or not right. Uh, she said that she was sealing her most important prophecies in the Great Box. Mm-hmm. And that uh, the Great Box would be opened after her death only during a time of national crisis and only in the presence of 24 bishops of the Church of England who would be required to spend seven days and nights studying her previous writings before opening the box. Yeah, bitch, ain't nobody doing that. Ain't nobody got time for that. It's like ultra specific. Yeah. So people were so intrigued and baffled by all of this that um, there were trials ordered to like observe her prophecy making (laughs) so (laughs) like how do you do it girl yeah like you okay so um and she says that the trials were ordered by the lord uh so they would basically her and her seven went out on these trials to then invite bishops and other clergy members to like see that she was real Lots of people rejected the invitations because they were like, this fucking lady is nuts. Um, But so they had the first trial in 1801. The second was in 1803. And the third was in 1804. Each trial lasted seven days where people would just come and observe her writing her cuckoo bananas prophecies. Um, And so the third trial was held in 1804, but she had originally predicted that the trial would be held after her own death, which didn't, which I I don't know how that also same. Uh, Yeah. Just open the box. But you can't open the box unless there's a national crisis, Carmen. And the bishops. And the bishops. All 24 of them. So many bishops. So, okay, so then in 1814, she's now 64 years old. Oh, that's old as hell for that time. Old as hell. And she says, oh, I'm pregnant. Oh. Mm. Oh. Mm. Oh, well, well. Uh, And she says she was pregnant and that she was fulfilling the prophecy from Revelation and that she was going to give birth to the new Messiah the Shiloh of Genesis. Now this had a fixed date of birth of October 19th, 1814. But when that date came, the baby was not there. And so shortly after on December 27th, 1814, she died. Uh, And everyone was like, what do we do? Uh, 
And her followers kept her body for several days because they were like, surely she's going to be raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, they then only agreed to bury her once her body started to decompose and like smell. Yeah. Cause they were like, she can't come back now. She nasty. Mm-hmm. And there were like a bunch of doctors that like studied her corpse to like see if she was actually pregnant. And there was like no confirmation or uh, denial that like they just like, couldn't figure out if she was actually pregnant or not. Yes, because they, that's old timey doctors. They were like, it's old timey doctors. Right. We'll just blood let you. Yeah. It's fine. Let's wave some, some sage around and see what happens. Like, they don't yeah, know. Don't worry about they it. They don't know. Don't worry about it. Uh, So, people, you would think, like, after a cult leader dies that uh, it would kind of just dissipate. No, no. Oh. Even after her death, people were obsessed with Joanna and her prophecies. Zara's like, I am one of her followers. That was Joban. Joban. He would be... He would join a cult for sure. Oh yeah, he's he's very agreeable. Oh my goodness gracious, you guys, chill the fuck out. <laughs> God damn! I know that you're really into cults, especially about 1800s prophecies, but I need you to bring it down. Oh my God. It's chaos. Are they? Are you guys done over there? No, they're very upset. They're <laughs> very upset right now. <laughs> very upset. <laughs> um. So, uh, people were still obsessed with her and her prophecies, and she still had like thousands and thousands of followers. Um, one woman named Anna Essam left a bunch of money after she died. Um. In 1844, she basically left everything uh, in her will uh, to use to publish Joanna's other writings. And SM's niece was like, uh, what the fuck? Like, hey. no, where, where's my money? And she disputed the will saying that the writings were blasphemous and that she should have the money. Uh, but then the courts like overturned or they they wouldn't overturn. Uh, the ruling and like wouldn't give the woman her money because like some of the people on the court were like followers of Joanna's like it was Jesus. crazy so I bet you're wondering what was in the box yes I want to know all about everything that was in the box okay so the great box so her box had very specific instructions like we said earlier that it had to be open only during a national crisis with all 24 bishops of the Church of England present. Well, there were petitions during the Crimean War and during World War One that were, people were like, yo, this is a national crisis. Let's open the box. This is going to save everybody. <laughs> That's so dumb. But it kept getting denied. Like, whoever was keeping the box was like, no, it's not the time for the box. This, is not, this does not qualify as a crisis there's a key the of the box. Yeah. So, okay. So then in 1927, a psychic investigator. Of course. 
his name is Harry Price. He claimed that he had the box and that it was sent to him anonymously at the National Laboratory of Psychical Research. Oh, not, wow. Not physical research, not psychological research, psychical research. Because he's a psychic investigator and he said it was mysteriously sent to him. And so he waited a while to, he wanted to test the box. It was like a pretty, like, it was like steel. It had like chains on it. It was like an intense box. So he was like trying to study it. production value. Right. And he wanted to see, he wanted to figure out what was inside of it without opening it. And so he x-rayed it. Okay. Okay. And fair enough. Then they later opened the box and found out it contained all of the secrets of the world. No, it contained some paper, a couple books, dice, a lottery (laughs) ticket. What? A lottery ticket, earrings, a nightcap, and a horse pistol. A a horse-specific pistol? Yeah. Now, I don't know if that was four horses or... To shoot horses, like Is it I don't for the horse to use. I don't. It didn't have like a hoof insert. Okay. Uh, well, damn. I don't know. That that I don't that know. Immediately makes me not interested. So apparently, that's what was in the box. So was there anything of any like? No, it was okay. like a junk drawer. Yes. So. Now, her followers, who are called the South Caudians... They still exist? uh, Some do, yeah. Oh, my Uh, God. But the people who followed her said that this box that Harry Price opened was not the real box. And they... uh, uh, Some of them formed a separate branch of the South Caudians within their organization called the Panachia Society. Uh Uh-huh where they aimed to be prepared for the return of Joanna and her baby Shiloh. Uh Uh-huh. This society still exists today. It is now called the Panachia Charitable Trust. They meet in a house that is also a museum dedicated to Joanna and her work. Uh Uh-huh. And the trustees claim that they've had the actual box since 1957 and will open it when the time comes. And I will leave you with this. Their slogan says, War, disease, crime, and banditry. Distress of nations and perplexity will increase until the bishops open Joanna Southcott's box. Banditry. That's Mm -hmm. all I heard was banditry. (laughs) I could not, my brain could not even take the rest of it. It just uh-huh. ended at banditry. Mm-hmm. Wow. What a tale. Isn't that so weird? That is wild. People are yeah, so and they're, stupid. They're so stupid. And they're, like, some people made fun of her because they were like, this bitch is crazy. And so there are all these old-timey illustrations of her, like, being a kook. I can't wait to send them to you. They're hilarious. Oh, I love a good, like, old-timey, like, uh, razzish. Just like a wacky. Yeah, like a cartoon that's really going to get them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, 
I just can't wrap my head around one that there were over a hundred thousand people alive at that time. No, that's insane. Because that's a lot of people, so and many. like this is a time where like everyone was dying constantly. So much disease and banditry. Like so much and banditry. So much you know? banditry. Oh. Yeah, so I guess we'll never know if it was the real box or not. I mean, we're going to need them bishops to get their shit together. And now it's like there are so many bishops, so how do you choose 24? Yeah, who are the 24? Right. Does Kiefer Sutherland have to choose them? I feel like yes. Yeah, I feel like that's relevant. He should. Kiefer he's Sutherland of he's the main bishop. Should choose the 24 bishops. And I yes. mean, like, if now is not enough of a dumpster fire to open the box, what is? Then what is? What is? If World War One was not enough yeah. to open the box, when is the time? I'm going to call it now. Box don't exist. It doesn't exist. It's not a real well, thing. Well, there's, there's a photo of the box that Harry Price opened that he claims is the box. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I guess nobody knows... Only the box knows. Only the box knows if it is the box. And therein lies the trouble. Mm-hmm. So, Thank you for our philosophy, Ted Talk. You're welcome. Uh, so it seems like uh, the crazy character in Good Omens was a little bit based on this lady with the prophecy. Maybe. Mm-hmm. I think Neil Gaiman pulled from some of Joanna's stories. I'm going to have to tweet him and ask because yeah. I'd really like to know. I, I feel like this story really lines up a lot to that character in that. It does. It does. Which that's a great book. Great show. Get into it, guys, if you haven't. Fucking mm-hmm. Data Tenet. Michael Shane. It's but, amazing. It's so, so good. good. Oh, it was just a goddamn delight. And our sweet, sweet baby Jack Whitehall. Oh, love it. What an angel. Doing some acting. I love, I love him. I love me some Jack Whitehall. Oh, such a little sweetheart. Such a goddamn tall man, baby. Just a little British sad boy. Oh, you know I love me a sad boy. I know you do. Damn, I you just want to feed him some soup. I just want to feed him some soup. Oh, damn it. I just want to get their little pasty selves into the sunshine and feed them some soup. Like, just, you know, put a little sunlight on those really pasty calves. Have a shawl around them to keep them warm. Roll oh. roll down your little knee socks. Oh, yes. <laughs> roll up them breeches and roll down them knee socks. Get some sun on them, babies. <laughs> yes. And this only lines up too well with that audience. I am knee deep in PBS's Victoria. It's on Amazon Prime. It's fantastic. Jenna Coleman is the star as the titular Queen Victoria. And there is a very... There's a beautiful little British sad boy by the name of Prince Albert. And, oh, buddy, I'm digging it. I'm into it. All about it. He's got them breeches. He's got them knee socks. He's got fun coats with embroidery. I am all about it, bitch. Oh, it's wonderful. It's like your dream. It truly is. It truly is. Oh, it's just, 
Oh my god. He's so pasty. Um, He's so pasty. One day I'm gonna make Kyle dress up like a sad Victorian. Boy. I would explode into <laughs> glitter. I would explode. <laughs> oh. I I don't know if I've ever told you this 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 theory <laughs> that I have. And I'm so sorry, listeners, that we've gone off on this real hard left. Um, but so I saw Cowboy Bebop, the Love very it. famous Love Cowboy Bebop. anime at a very formative age. Um, and I feel that the character of Spike Spiegel really did something to my formative mind at the time. And it has been the basis for every man I've felt attractive since then. <laughs> and then I like a very tall, very lithe man who looks borderline sickly. With very floppy hair. And this this is that it really just it turns some gears. <laughs> In my brain, that like can't be undone. Oh my god! I swear, when I went back and watched Cowboy Bebop as an adult, I was like, "Oh, this did something. This did something. <laughs> this character, this man, did something to me that was never undone." Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. That's my theory. Oh. I'm, I'm sticking to it. It makes a lot of sense. It really <laughs> does. Holy shit. Oh my god. Give me a tall, <laughs> a tall man that looks impossibly thin. Almost like he could be a patient for something. And I'm into <laughs> it. I'm fully in. <laughs> Hey, we all have our types. That, it's, that is 100% my type. Oh, oh, buddy. Oh, my God. Oh, that got me in my core. <laughs> it, makes a lot, it connects a lot of dots. That's all I'm saying. For me, personally, connects a lot of dots. This tracks, it, it for really sure. It really does. Just wow. input it into all the information you know about me, and you're like, yeah. Yeah, I get mm-hmm. it. It makes complete Thank sense. Uh, I have no wow. idea what we were talking about to end up there, but... I don't... It doesn't matter. But uh, have you had any strange encounters since we last uh, talked? I, I don't know that I've had a strange encounter. I had a rude encounter oh, at the grocery no. store. Oh, how dare they? Well, okay... First of all, I'm pretty sure I saw one of my teachers from high school, but I couldn't. It was like they were too far away for me to actually. But and I and then I was like, "What is that person's name?" And I couldn't. And then I just avoided them at all costs, just in case, Um, because that would have been really weird Mm -hmm. for me. That's Uh, unsettling. Yeah, it was. It's already weird when you see like a teacher if you're in school, if you see a teacher outside of school. But then when you're later an adult and you see a teacher you used to have, I don't like that. It was very strange. Not not sure if it was them, but now, well, never know. Um, But then, so at Kroger they have the self checkout things, you know. And yes, I understand the wait 
things are sensitive oh, to uh, whatever. But so I fin- I put every everything's in their bags. I had scanned everything. I go to pay, hit the boop boop, and I put my card in, and then it froze. And they, it was like someone will be right with you to help. And so I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and like nobody's coming to help me. And I try to wave the lady down, and she like comes up to me with an attitude, and she's like, "It's because you're putting stuff in your cart." And I was like, "No, I don't have anything in my cart. I already scanned everything and put it." And she was like, no, I'm telling you that's what it is. And I was like, I'm telling, like, my card is still in the machine. Your eyeballs. It's empty. Yes. I was like, I'm trying to actively pay you for these foods that I would like to take home. And she was, like, going off. And I was like, can you just, like, reset it? Yeah. And she, like made a big thing about it and was like, Ugh! and like, it was like a whole production. I was like, I'm just trying to pay for my that's, groceries. That's, that's not it was really weird. Job. And I was like, it's a new year. Yeah, Come on. Like, that, get, get it together. Why you gotta be so oh, mean? That's not nice. I know. I didn't like that's it. Not very yeah. Nice. It's fine. It made me very grumpy. And I was like, I don't oh, like this. Like- as the person who is overseeing the self-checkout area, basically your entire job is to fix the machine when it does wild shit. Which it does all the time. Time. I hate those things. I hate them so much. I know. I've started like... And what they do now is they, they do, they only have, they'll have like one oh. regular checkout line and then they make you do the self-checkout. No, unacceptable. I, I am fighting technology in that one arena in that I do not yeah. I do not like the self-checkout unless I have embarrassing items. Unlike a box yeah, of junior like, mints, well, a big-ass box of tampons, and a bottle of wine. Otherwise... Well, remember when I had to use the self-checkout for the fucking enemas that I had to do before my surgery because Amazon didn't deliver my... And then the thing froze, and then I was sitting there, and she was like... It pulled up I had to get somebody to come help me then and then I'm just sitting there with this bulk pack of enemas and the lady was judging me so hard and I was like I have surgery tomorrow and I I was like I really need to leave I'm having a hard time and it just said enema like in bold on the screen just like with tampons and everything just like, could you make that font any fucking bigger? God damn. Thank you for making everything it's difficult. Absurd. Life. This is why we invented the checkout. Ugh. So not have these kinds of interactions. And yeah, yet. Yeah, I don't think I've met any crazy people. Um, I did meet a dog, though. You did, did tell me everything. Outside of little women. Uh, which, hey, listeners, go see Little Women. It's amazing. Uh, so the I went to the Alamo Draft House here, which is amazing. Uh, they let you order food and drinks from your chair, and they're recliners, and they keep people out for talking. It's the best. Ooh. Uh, so outside of Little Women, I was I went to see it with my friend Wilma, and we're standing outside and talking. And it's nighttime. We're just standing there. And then out of the darkness emerges a sweet baby pup pup 
it was like a, a blue healer of some sort. And I was like, I got so excited that this pup pup emerged from the darkness towards me. And I was like, hello, friend! And then the dog got really excited. And then we were snuggling. And then its owner had headphones in and was like, I don't know what's happening. And I was like, I'm sorry. I just got really excited about your dog. And then your dog got really excited. And then we were friends. And then they continued their journey into the night. That was wonderful. Ugh. He that loves meeting wonderful. dogs. It really capped off that. a beautiful evening. Um, that, yeah, that sounds like an a, ideal I got day. a good big dose of Timothy Chalamet. Uh, Another oh, six sad so boy. Sad with the floppiest hair. See? It is a through line. And then I got a dog. It is. It's a really good day. That's amazing. Um, well, that's, that's it for all today. The stories that we have. I have no more stories. I live a very boring uh, life. Here. <laughs> Same. Uh, follow us yeah, on the social media. Do the things that we saw at the top of the podcast that are freezies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and give Send us, us money if you can. Dogs. Oh my God. Send us pictures of your dogs. Preferably wearing old time. God damn outfits. it. If your dog is wearing a fucking old-timey outfit and you send me a picture of it, it's going on our stories. No questions asked. I yeah. don't even care if it's your dog. Yep. It can be any it dog. It can be any dog. Send, Google a picture of a dog and send it to us. Do the legwork yes. for us, please. I do Thank not you. discriminate when it comes to dog photography. Ugh. It's true. Um, but yeah, until so until time, next Danny. week, be your own, be your fucking, own guy. fucking guy. <gasps> Bye. Bye.